righteous. Perhaps there are friends who laugh at you. Jesus says, I know. In today's verse-by-verse class, Pastor Steve Kreloff is continuing his study of the persecuted church at Smyrna. This study is from Revelation chapter 2 and verses 8 through 11. Jesus' message to the pastor at Smyrna is one of comfort and encouragement, and it applies to us today as well. Because Christ has suffered everything that we have suffered, or will suffer in the future, He understands what we're going through when the trials of life and hostile persecution come our way. We can take heart because He has already been there, and will go with us through the fiery trials of life. Now here is Pastor Steve with today's class. Secondly, he says, I know your poverty. Poverty often goes along with Christian persecution because unbelievers decide to exclude you from their guilds, and then there's economic sanctions and boycotts against the Christians who refuse to worship Caesar, and there would be, uh, there'd be all kinds of attacks on their homes and businesses. And so these people were destitute financially, but Jesus adds, but you're really rich. What he's saying, you may have nothing in this world that the world has to offer, but I remind you that in me, you have everything. You know, Scripture says that in case you're, you're going through economically difficult, difficult times, it's good to remind ourselves that in Christ we have everything. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice these precious few verses that remind us that we, we have everything that we need. 1 Corinthians 3, notice verses 21 through 23. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. All things, Paul said, belong to you. In Ephesians 1.3, we're told that we have all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. In James 2, 5, we're told that God has made us rich in faith. Let me read this to you because it's a great statement. James chapter 2, verse 5. James says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Jesus became poor that we might be spiritually rich. So he says, you you are rich. And you know what? That's a marvelous truth to, to think about. We're probably not destitute like the people at Smyrna were, but think of this. Someone has put it this way. If you have everything but Christ, you have nothing. If you have nothing but Christ, you have everything. And we folks have everything. But their persecution wasn't only related to emperor government worship. The Jewish community in Smyrna rose up against them. And Jesus has some very strong language against the community of Jewish people in the city of Smyrna. He said, here's what else he knows. He knows that they're going through tribulation. He knows that they're poor. He also knows of the blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Strong language. What what does our Lord mean? Well, for one thing, there was obviously a Jewish community at that time in the city of Smyrna. In fact, it was a large community, and they persecuted the Christians. Why? Well, basically the same issue that we're studying in Galatians. You had Jewish people who said that that works and law-keeping 
adds up to righteousness and, and salvation. And the Christians said, no, no, we believe in a despised Messiah. We believe that salvation is by grace. And so you have this community of Jewish people, and you often had this in the early days of Christianity, the Jewish community were those who persecuted the church. That's what was happening in Smyrna. He speaks of blasphemy by those who say they are Jews, but, but are not. Now, what does, he, what does he mean by that? Well, let me show you a few places in Scripture that might help. John chapter 8. The Lord is not saying that these are not, these, these Jewish people, that they are not physical descendants of Abraham. A Jewish person, every Jewish person, is a physical descendant, biologically descended from Abraham through Isaac and then Jacob. That's what makes someone Jewish. But they may be Jewish physically, but not Jewish spiritually. That is to say, they are not children of Abraham by faith. They are not true Jews on the inside in terms of loving the Lord as he intended the Jewish people to love him. But let me just show you this. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, as I read on, you'll see that these people did not believe in him in a conversion sense. They might have intellectually accepted that he was the Messiah because he did all these miracles and fed people as well. But as you'll see that they were not true believers. He said, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. Notice how they answered him. They're, they're offended by this. They said, we're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Truth of the matter is, in all of Jewish history, they were slaves. Where were they not slaves? But they, we were never slaves. They're offended. Their pride, their arrogance is offended to say that, that they were enslaved. Jesus answered them, verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. I know that. I know who you are. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You see, they're not true believers. I speak the things which I have seen from my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered, and notice once again, they're pride, their arrogance. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. So what the Lord is telling them here in John chapter eight is this, you are simply Jews, Jewish people, by birth only, but not spiritually, not, not inwardly, not in your heart. Now, there are several verses that complement this. Let me show you. Romans chapter 2. I think this is a misunderstood verse. Romans chapter 2. In verse 28, in context, he's talking to the Jewish people saying that you are just as guilty as anybody else. And to the Jewish people, not to people in general, he says this in verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Paul says it's not enough to simply be a physical descendant of Abraham. There has to be something inward that makes you a real child of Abraham and a real child of God, and someone who's really Jewish in heart. 
Verse 29, but he is a Jew. And I'm not talking to Gentiles here. He's talking to Jewish people. You're a real Jew if you are one who is a Jew inwardly. And circumcision, the cutting, is that which is of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but his praise is from God. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying. You can be Jewish outwardly, but inwardly you don't have a kosher heart. It's the same thing that Paul will say in Romans 9, 6. All Israel is not Israel. They, yes, they may be physically Israel, but they're not Israel in their hearts. They're not following the God of Israel. And so you go back to Revelation chapter 2 and notice the strong verse again. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy, they were blaspheming the Christians by those who say they are Jewish, but are not, because they haven't really had a change of heart, who say they are Jews and are not, but what are they? They're a synagogue of Satan. A synagogue of Satan. This would be the same thing as saying, speaking of a liberal church today, saying it's a a church of Satan. Why would you say that? Because they teach doctrines of demons there. They don't teach the truth. So it really belongs to Satan. This is not an anti-Semitic slur. This is simply saying that this place, this synagogue, espouses satanic beliefs. They reject Jesus as Messiah. It, it was satanic. Doctrines of demons. Now, don't miss the, the main point. The Lord is saying to this church, and us by way of application, is that he does care when we are suffering. He understands what we're going through. He cares about the tribulation you face for your faith. He said, I know what you're going through. Now, you were, you're not going through what the people at Smyrna went through, but you, have, you and I have our own ways of being persecuted. Perhaps it's from your family. There's hostility. I don't want to talk to you about the Lord. They're obnoxious when you're around. They want to start arguments. They want to be contentious. There's hostility there. Perhaps there are friends who laugh at you. Perhaps there are fellow workers who joke about you. Jesus says, I know. I know. I've been there myself. I died for the truth. I know what you're going through. So he's already told us two truths to help us handle persecution. Number one, he's told us that he was persecuted. We're not alone in this. He knows what it's like, and he has concern and cares about those who are persecuted. I know what you're going through. I know all about what's going on. And he gives us a second truth to help us handle persecution, and, and it's this, that not only does he care, but he gives some commands that he tells us, if you obey this, you'll be rewarded. There's encouragement. He encourages us to obey, and there's a reward for those who obey. Verse 10, two commands. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And there are two commands that Jesus gives to those facing persecution in the city of Smyrna. These commands have to be seen together. The first command is this, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And he speaks about being in prison for 
10 days. Let's look at it again. The devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested your tribulation for 10 days. And what is he talking about here? In those days, prisons were not correctional institutions. They were places of punishment. Nobody stayed in prison and then was released because the government felt like you had served enough time. There were places where the accused awaited sentencing, either death or exile. That's why John was exiled, but most died. That's what the Lord is saying here. You are going to be placed in prison for 10 days, and then you're going to die. You're going to die. It won't be forever that you're in prison. It'll be for 10 days. Why 10 days? I don't know, but that's what they did. And so he says to them, do not fear what you are about to suffer. The suffering is 10 days in prison, and then you'll be brought out and you'll be executed. Lord says, don't fear. You see, as you and I face persecution, fear is the greatest enemy. It destroys God's peace. So Jesus says, don't be intimidated. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you. Now, the second command is this, be faithful until death. You're going to be thrown in prison for 10 days. Don't renounce me. Don't say Caesar is Lord. You be faithful till the end. In other words, lay aside your fears by remaining faithful and loyal to me. Look to me, trust in me, be loyal to me, persevere by steadfastness. The Lord is calling these people and us to trust him. Trust him. That's the way we deal with fear. Trust him. He's sovereign. He cares. He went through this himself. He knows what he's talking about, and he'll give grace. Let me show you a marvelous, marvelous statement by Jesus about dealing with persecution and death. Matthew chapter 10. Very, very encouraging. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What is he saying here? He says, don't fear those who kill the body, but they're unable to kill the soul. All that unsaved man can do, all that your persecutors can do is take your life physically. That's all. You say, that's enough. But that's all. They can't do anything more. They cannot send you into, into eternity in hell. They can't touch your soul. They can't do anything else. They can't destroy you spiritually. All they can do is take your life. On the other hand, the Lord says, don't fear them, but fear him. Fear God. Fear the Father who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What a great encouragement. The Lord promises that there's nothing else that you need to fear about man. There's nothing you need to fear at all. The worst they can do is kill you. And that really takes a great deal of the fear away. That's all when you analyze. That's all they can do is take your your physical body. But notice that he promises us something. He promises at the end of verse 10, a marvelous, marvelous reward for those who do remain faithful. And, And believers do this. Be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. To those who die for the sake of Christ, he gives them a reward. It's called the the crown of life. James chapter 1 speaks of the same thing. A crown in the Bible is a reward for Christians. Imagery is taken from the winner's 
crown, the water at, at athletic games had a crown of, of leaves. You see this even at the Boston Marathon. Whoever wins of the male, men or women, they have a crown of leaves, kind of a wreath around them as champions. Well, that's the imagery here. Remain faithful to Christ, and in death you will receive an imperishable crown of life. So did the early church endure? Did they do this? We have, we have marvelous records of men and women who did endure. Men like Polycarp, godly man who faced death with triumph. History tells us of a 92-year-old Christian man who chose abuse and death in a dungeon rather than renounce Christ. And of a 16-year-old boy who was subjected to much cruelty but kept on confessing Christ. And on and on it goes. And Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us about those who died for their faith. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I don't know if I could handle this. I'm not sure if I could handle being burned at the stake. After all, when I burn my finger, I uh, have a great deal of pain. I'm not sure I could say like Polycarp, just don't put any, you don't have to tie me up. I'll be fine. And, and talk about um, wild beasts tearing you apart. You might be afraid of a loose dog in the neighborhood. So you, you might look at this and say, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever handle this. I remember when I was a student at Bible college, I went to see my dear friend who was a professor, Irvin Robertson, and I said to him, Mr. Robertson, I'm reading about these great men and women of the faith who died for the Lord. They didn't renounce Christ. I just don't know if I'll be able to do that. And I went through my thing about my thumb getting burnt, and I I couldn't stand that. And, And I remember he looked at me and he said, Steve, are you dying now? I said, well, no, no, I'm not dying now. Not that I know of. And, and he said, well, when it's time for you to die, the Lord will give you grace to die. You don't have that now because you're not dying. And I thought, oh. And that's why he was a professor at Moody Bible Institute. So bright to come up with that. But I think that's true. You don't have to worry about that. Well, will I have the strength to endure or will I renounce Christ? You don't have that grace right now because you're not facing that. When the time comes, the Lord will give you grace to handle whatever he has for you. So the Lord has told us three truths to encourage us, three truths to help us to handle persecution. Tells us, number one, that he was persecuted. We're not in this alone. Number two, that he cares about those who are persecuted. Number three, he rewards the persecuted as they obey him, and they will obey him because he gives them grace. And number four, he challenges those of us who are persecuted to consider our future. Consider our future. Notice verse 11 starts off this way. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, notice, says to the churches, not just simply to this church, but all the churches. This is a letter, you see, for us as well. This is an encouragement. This is a challenge to listen carefully to what God, the Holy Spirit, has to say, because it's an important message. So listen, listen. Here's what he says. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. For the person who knows Christ, we're called overcomers. I told you last week that means any believer. We have triumph. We are more than conquerors, Paul says, to the Romans. True believers, he's telling us, we who are overcomers, physical death is the only death we will ever experience. That's it. That's it. The second death is hell. How do I know that? Because Revelation 20, verse 14 says, said that hell is the second death, spiritual 
and eternal separation and punishment. That's the second death. Look at verse 11 again. Jesus said, the one who overcomes true believers will not be hurt by the second death. Folks, the challenge for those facing persecution is this. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death because for us to die is a promotion to heaven. Christians talk about going to heaven, but seldom do we talk just about dying. We try to, it seems to me, try to do everything not to die. But death for a Christian, Paul said, it's better to die and be with Christ. Because for us, it's a promotion to glory where the crown of life awaits us. For us to die is never to go to hell, but always to go to heaven. So if a person doesn't know Christ, then they do have a legitimate right to fear death. They need to fear this and then have this attitude of turning to Christ so that they no longer fear and that they can be forgiven. But the question is, are you and I prepared for intense persecution? This letter helps us to prepare. Christ was persecuted. He understands. He rewards the persecuted, and he challenges us to consider our future. Our future is glorious. No matter what they do to us, we still have an incredible future with Christ. Death is not the end. So if the tide turns and changes in our country, and hostility, which is now just more emotional and mental, turns to physical, you go back to this letter and encourage your heart. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this precious little letter to the church at Smyrna. Lord, there is coming a time when we will be persecuted. It can't stay the way it it is. We'll be persecuted. Help us. Help us to remember these, these wonderful truths. Lord, thank you that you have gone through what we will go through, what many Christians today around the world are going through. You, you were persecuted. You were hated. You were arrested. You were mocked. And then you were killed. We thank you that you are a high priest who understands all that, that we have endured and will in, endure. Lord, I thank you that you care about those who are persecuted, that we're not alone in this. You care, you love us, you tell us to cast all of our cares upon you because you do care for us. And Lord, I thank you that you encourage us by rewarding us for persecution. Lord, I don't, I don't understand exactly what the crown of life is, but I know if it's a reward from you, it's, it's a treasure, it's precious. To help us to be faithful to the end, to know that grace is always available for us. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we do hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We do hear what your Spirit says to us, that we don't need to fear the second death because you were condemned in our place. There is no hell for us because you tasted hell for us. Thank you. Thank you for that. I pray for any here, Lord, who have never trusted you as their Savior, their only Savior. I pray that you'll draw them to yourself and open their hearts to the gospel. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for being in class today. You can order a CD of this entire message by calling Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306. You can also listen to it again by going to our website at versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. You can stream it or download it and the many other messages by Pastor Steve. Remember to pray for this ministry 
And as the Lord leads you to do so, make a financial investment in the outreach. You can donate online at our website, www.versebyverseradio.org, or call us at 727-239-0306. In our next two classes, Pastor Steve will continue the study on Christ's letters to the seven churches by looking at the church at Pergamum. I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Thank you so much for listening to Faith Talk 570 and 910. We truly appreciate all of you, and this week we're spending time discussing ways that we can connect with you even more. If you use Facebook and you like our station, how about letting us know by liking our Facebook page? It's a small thing, but believe me, it means a lot, and it also gives you a chance to